Well, good morning, church. How we doing? Wow. You know what I need y'all to do? I need y'all to scoot in. Will you do that? We just kind of scoot in. We got a big crowd. We got folks standing need a seat. Would y'all just kind of move in? Now, if you didn't wear deodorant, stay where you are. No, just kidding. Just scoot in. Let's, let's do a little shift and, and make some room. All right. So uh, you guys standing, there's, there's, there's places down to sit, so y'all come on in. Uh, that's a good problem to have, isn't it not? Yeah, okay, all right, so uh, yeah, that's good, cool. Well, good morning, I'm Scott Weatherford. I'm so glad you're here today as we continue our series out of the book of John on signs. Now, some of you may have not have been part of our series we've been in so far. Here's some good news. You can go to our website, fbcwimberly.com, and catch up. If you have trouble sleeping at night, I guarantee I'll put you to sleep, all right? So you go online and listen. Also, we have other group curriculum on there. Extra things that I've been teaching about the book of John is found on a video format there as well. Lots of resources there, so you take advantage of that. We do all of that because we love you. Now, I got some exciting news this week. Uh, Some of you may know this, may not know this, but a few years back, I wrote a book called Sifted Leadership. Uh, It was published in 2017, so it's been about two years ago. My uh, publisher, I met with him on Friday, Uh, He was in town, and he met with him, and he said, I want you to revise your book, and we're going to re-release it, and this time we want to put it in Barnes & Nobles and Books A Million and Costco and Sam's and Walmart and Hobby Lobby and all those kind of things. So that's kind of cool, isn't it? Yeah. Now, listen to me very carefully, okay? You do not write books to make money. Did you know that? You do not, because he gave me a check for $15.95. That was my royalties. What you do write book for, books for is to build lives that honor God. So you guys pray for me over the next, he gave me a deadline, I have to get this thing done. Pray for me as I write this new material and I'm gonna get to tell the Wimberley story in this. So I'm really excited about that. And I'm, you know what I'm gonna tell them about Wimberley? Love. So I'm gonna tell you about love. Because love transcends everything. Love covers a multitude of sins, doesn't it? Now if there's one emotion I want you to feel here today, is that you are loved, you are loved, and you go love eating a hamburger and hot dog later. And you go love that Miss Tara, my wife, has made a banana pudding big enough to swim across. So y'all look forward to that. If you love Jesus, you might get some banana pudding. And so it's gonna be a great, great day. I grew up with a handicap. I grew up with very bad eyesight. I mean, very bad. I started wearing glasses when I was 18 months old, and my eyes were crossed. I had trouble seeing. My parents didn't have a lot of resources, but they made sure that I was under the care of an ophthalmologist for as long as I can remember. I remember going and having my eyes dilated every day for six months. If you can imagine that, just that, oh, that horrible horrible experience and having to wear a patch over my eye for a period of time, thinking that it was strength. All these things because I had very poor eyesight. Finally, they got me in glasses. My mother said as a little boy, I'd wake up and say, mama, my eyes are cold. Will you get me my glasses? Now, all that, you know, thick glasses and growing up and where I grew up, it created a lot of opportunities for bullying where I got picked on. And usually this is what it was. Kids would hold up two Coke bottles Hey, Webford, I got some glasses for you. And I would, in the name of Jesus, whoop them. (laughs) Yeah, I was always kind of a big, strong kid, and I would fight. 
Y'all, in seventh grade, I'm not recommending this to anybody, I got in 21 fights in seventh grade. I was 21 and oh. But that's my story, I'm sticking with it. But all that being said is this, that it was, I missed opportunities. I, even though I played baseball in high school, my coach really didn't trust me because he see my glasses. And even though I, I led our team in hitting, he still didn't think I was quite as good because of my physical handicap. Now, some of y'all grew up with handicaps as well. Is there a whistle? Do you guys hear a whistle? Thank you, Wyatt. I didn't know you were a, a sound engineer. Okay, good. All right. Thank you, Brian, for doing that. But anyway, I grew, I grew up with that, that kind of encumbrance. And, but I want to tell you something about that. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little more personal. I was so worried about my, my eyesight that after you know, I, got in, I got contacts and it kind of covered that up. And, um, but after Tara and I got married, I did not even want her to see me without my contacts in. Now, she's seen that before, and now, in, in, in 1999, I had LASIK eye surgery, and so my vision went from 2100 to 2020. Now, I wear glasses now just for fashion. That's, <laughs> no, it's because I'm old, and I need to go get my LASIK tweaked, which I'm going to do that, but, but many years ago, Tara and I were in a conference, and she leaned over, and we were, I remember where we were. We were in Chicago at a conference, and I remember who was speaking. It was John Maxwell speaking. And she reached over and she wrote on top of my, my notebook, she said, you have poor eyesight, but God has given you great vision. I love that girl. <laughs> you know what? That one compliment, that one word of affirmation for her literally obliterated the years of bullying. To hear the one that I love most on this earth other than Jesus to say that this handicap has turned into a great blessing. But I want to tell you something that's dangerous. And I got a quote, and I wrote this for you, and I'll throw it up on the board. Go ahead and take out your notes. You might want to jot this one down. What matters more is seeing what is real. If I have great eyesight, but I can't see the truth, then I have wasted vision. Wasted vision. Put it back. They want to write it up. So there you go. All right, there we go. What matters more is seeing what's real. If I have great eyesight, but I can't see truth, then I have wasted vision. How do we know what we see is what we real, is what's real? How do we know what we hear is what's real? We live in a day and age of, of the media that tells us stuff that's blatantly not true. Uh, we, we get perspectives and ideas, and, and how can we trust what we see? Well, here in John chapter 9, one of the signs of Jesus is healing a man born blind. And this healing of the man born blind was not just some kind of miraculous thing he was doing to, to take care of this guy, this need, but what he was doing for us is showing the real him. What Jesus wants you to see is the real him. He doesn't want you to see the religious side of him. He doesn't want you to see the historical side of him. He wants you to see all of him. And he wants to reveal yourself to him because he wants you to have a real life in him not some kind of religious ritual or something that you attend, but a real Savior who penetrates your heart and your life. So we're going to look at this today. In fact, this is what we're going to do. 
When I was in seminary, 22, 23 years old, in New Orleans, we had a guest preacher come in. His name was Dr. J.D. Gray. And Dr. Gray was in his 90s at the time. He was the pastor of First Baptist Church in New Orleans, Louisiana, a wicked city who had an amazing church and an amazing pastor. J.D. Gray literally loved the Crescent City and brought the gospel to the Crescent City. And he had a, a famous sermon he preached, and our pastor asked him to come in and preach that sermon. Now, my job, that's back in the day, I don't know if y'all remember this, when the preachers had to sit in kingdom chairs on the stage. Some of y'all remember that? I am so glad that's done. I could never behave myself on stage. And uh, so my job was to get him from the kingdom chair to the pulpit. I was to sing before he preached, so I sang some solo, and then uh, he, then I got him up a 90-something-year-old man, crooked, you know, old man. <laughs> now he feels now. And he grabbed the side of the pulpit, and he reached in his jacket, and he pulled out this bronze plaque. And on it said, sirs, we would see Jesus. Quoting the scripture when the Gentiles came, the Greeks came, and they wanted to see Jesus. They said that to the disciples, we would see Jesus. And he took that plaque, and he affixed it to the pulpit in that church. And then for the next hour, a young man appeared, and he preached the angels down with fire and just eloquence and oratory like I'd never heard. I sat there amazed at him. And then when he finished, this old man folded back up and I put him down in his seat. Sirs and ma'ams, today I pray we would see Jesus and we would be changed by what we see. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're gonna to say to us this morning. And I pray that you speak through me. These folks do not need to hear my nonsense and noise. They need to hear your truth, and they need to see who you really are. And so many have come with so many different visions of you, so many different ideas of you, but they really need to see the real you. So, Lord, I know I don't have time enough, but you have, you're God enough to meet people where they are. And I pray you speak directly and specifically to the needs in this room today and the needs of those watching online. And I pray this all in your strong name. Amen. Now, we're going to start with chapter 9 of, of John. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's in your pew back if you want to follow. We'll have it up on the screen as well. But here's the deal. Jesus was encountering a guy who was born blind. And Jesus will heal your blindness. Now, I love this from personal experience. I know that I remember uh, coming out of my LASIK surgery, how I could see, how I could see I remember the first time I was in the bathroom after having LASIK surgery, I, did, I realized I wasn't as good looking as I thought I was. I could see the truth. But I want to tell you something, y'all. In the dark and at a distance, I'm a handsome man, all right? But that's this whole process. Jesus heals your blindness. Now, your blindness may not be physical. It may be spiritual. Your blindness may be relational. Your blindness may be blind spots in your character. Jesus has the ability and the willingness and the power to heal you. Let me read. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who'd been born blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of this man's own sin or his parents' sin? Now, right there, they were, they were promoting Jewish myth. They believed if, you're, if you sinned or, or, or your parents sinned, something bad's going to happen to you. 
And so many of us still that believe that. We call it Christian karma. You do something bad, something bad's gonna happen to you. And if you do this, God's gonna whoop you, God's gonna discipline you. Because after all, God is not loving, he's mad. And he's looking for an opportunity to thump you on the head. You know what I say to that? Liar, liar, pants on fire. It's not true. Why do I say that? Because God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. All things, even stupid things, God causes to work together for good. So if that is true, then they ask, why was this man born blind? Jesus was about to blow that up. And this is what Jesus said. Now, the first time I read this years ago, I thought, that's kind of mean. But listen to me and see if you track with me. Why was this man, was it because of his sins or his parents' sins? It's not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. What? Was God so cruel that he made this man born blind that he would suffer through this, his childhood and into his adulthood so that Jesus could just show off his power? No, no, no. That's not what he's saying at all. God was saying, no matter how far you've fallen or how broken you are, I can fix you. Even if you're born, this guy may not have even had eyeballs. There was probably something far worse wrong with him than him catching some kind of ocular disease. This guy was born blind, never seen anything. And then Jesus said, we must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. And the task before him was to heal this man. The night is coming when no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. In other words, I'm going to illuminate this guy. And you know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to illuminate you. I'm going to pull the blinders off your eyes. I'm going to pull the spiritual, the spiritual cataracts off your heart so you could see me. You could see me. And so then he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva, and he spread the mud over the man's eye. And he told him, go and wash yourself at the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Siloam means sent. He sent him to the sent pool so he might send him to declare his goodness. Wow. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Seeing. Now, the real Jesus knows, knows your spiritual condition. He knows where you are and who you are and what you've been and what you've become. And even though we're gathered in this great crowd of folks and, and people watching online, and we can kind of sort of hide in the crowd, we could blend in and we could hide and we could cover up our stuff. God sees it. Even those you look around, you think, oh, they have their act together. God sees that too. And here's the deal, y'all. We are all broken. Ain't that right? Look at your neighbor and say, you're broken. Some of y'all really liked that, didn't you? felt good. The truth is we're all broken. We've all sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. There's none righteous, no, not one. But here's the deal. God loves sinners. He loves broken people, and he doesn't like to leave them broken. He likes to heal them. He likes to fix them. God's kind of like Chip and Joanna Gaines. He's a fixer-upper. They're starting their own network. Did you know that? I'm going to tell them they need a preacher on that show. Anyway, but listen to this. This is cool. Your brokenness is often God's pathway to him revealing yourself. But you've got to admit it. 
you got to admit it. You can't go through your life with this sanctimonious, holier now garbage going on. You got to admit you're broken. Tara and I did like a lot of y'all done. You've been doing yard work. I think people in hell will have to do yard work, but we were doing yard work. And we were working on our front gate. We have a gate, and our gate is biblical. It's a narrow gate. In fact, it's so narrow, I ran into it with my truck the other day, but that's a whole other story. It's, it's a narrow gate. And it's got, it had all this stuff growing, weeds and growing. And we were up there cutting and slashing and burning and hauling stuff off. And if anybody's starting an Italian restaurant, I have enough rosemary to keep you in business forever. We trimmed all that stuff. But in the process, I broke our address sign. We had this cute little, you know, Mexican tile, you know, address and one of the tiles fell out because I'm a doofus is why I broke it. And so we went around town trying to find a replacement slide, a tile. And the only place you could find a replacement tile is going to a potter in deep, dark heart of Mexico and have them handmade it for you. That's all you do because it ain't here. They sell them here, but they don't fit the thing we hold it in. And the thing they fit that you hold it in doesn't fit the thing they got. So we're in trouble. So here's what we did. We went to King Feed. And in King Feed, I showed them the tile. Tara was there. I said, somebody in our family (laughs) broke one of these. And we need to get a replacement for one of these. Do you have any idea where we get that? And she looked at me and said, somebody in your family? I said, yep, somebody in our family. And I looked at Tara, and then she said, somebody in your family? I said, yeah, it's me. I said, well, I'll tell you something, sister. I confess my sin And my confession will lead to my repentance, and my repentance will lead me to my deliverance. Because you ain't ever going to get right until you admit it. Now, she didn't realize she was getting a sermon in King Feed. They had all them chickens in there, too. I got our tear out of there before we had chickens at our house. Go, go. I said, baby, it's easier to own a dog than it is chickens. Go. Here's the deal. When I admit my brokenness, when I realize that I am blind, then my Savior can step in and do what he needs to do in me because my brokenness becomes his pathway when I admit it, when I come down to the place of owning it. Jesus was setting up a situation with this guy to reveal himself to him and to you. Here's what he did. He confronted the false beliefs of Christian karma. He also confronted the false beliefs of Sabbath law. You see, the Sabbath law, this was the Sabbath that Jesus healed this guy. You were supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. So this is what he did. He, he broke three laws that day, and it blew the religious guys' minds. In fact, it blew their minds so bad, they couldn't accept that dude who was blind is now seeing. They got so choked up on he violated the law, they didn't miss the miracle. That's what legalism would do for you, y'all. When you get caught up in rituals and legalism and doing this and doing that because people say you need to do this and that, you're going to miss Jesus. And this is the three laws he broke. First law he broke, he made mud because you can't make anything on the Sabbath. The second thing he did, he applied the mud. You can't do any work on the Sabbath. And the third thing he did, he sent him to the pool to get washed and you can't send anybody anywhere because on the Sabbath you can't walk and you can't wash. Huh. And Jesus just blew that up. And his healing of the blind man revealed a deeper truth. And the deeper truth was this, 
that Jesus chose that method. Now, Jesus healed other blind people in, in the Bible. One of them he touched, one of them he spoke. And this one, he did this demonstration of mud and spit and washing. Why did he do that? Let me tell you why he did it. First of all, he, he was giving them great symbolism. To the people watching, he gave them great symbolism. They, he knew those religious rulers and laws knew the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, God made man out of the miry clay. So he scooped up clay and he used original parts to heal the man. And they knew that God created from his spoken word, ex nihilo, is the Hebrew word, that he speaks and worlds come to being. So he takes his own divine saliva and makes mud out of the creative mouth of God from the, the contents of God made mud. He makes it and, he, and then he did this. He applied it to the man's eyes to create an urgency because here's mud in your eye and there's nothing more urgent than to get mud out of your eye. That guy would have gone to any pool and washed to get mud out of his eye. And what he's saying to us is this. I'm healing you to send you. You're healing. You're getting right with God. It's not just about you. It's about your friends. It's about your neighbors. It's about who you are and what God is doing in you to share with them. Huh, you know what I realized? As I was writing this, most of my life, I live my life for me. And God says, -uh. no, 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 no. You live your life for me. Then I'm going to give you a life that's worth living. Wow. You see, Jesus reveals his true self when we see him as he truly is. Let me read. I'm reading now in John 10, 1 through 10. I tell you the truth. Now, listen to me very carefully. Okay, sometimes when you read the Bible, you're reading along and it comes to a chapter. And you'll read chapter 9 and then you'll stop. And then, then you'll maybe go back and read chapter 10. But let me tell you, that's not a good way to read the Bible. Chapters and verses are not something that's found in the original manuscript. Did y'all know that when John was writing this, he didn't realize he was writing a Bible? He didn't know it. He was writing what, what God had put on his heart. He wasn't. He didn't know that... 2,000 years later, we'd be looking at it and studying it. He didn't know that. He was just being obedient to what God had put in his heart. So he was writing. He didn't write chapter 9 and then chapter 10. No. How did that come to be? Some publisher did that later. And they wrote it uh, to, to, to show that. Y'all realize that when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote the words of Jesus, they didn't put Jesus' words in red ink. <laughs> they didn't. They but publishers did that, and I'm glad they did because then the, the, the writings of Jesus jump out at us. But all Scripture's profitable for us. All of it. And so if you stop at 9, you miss 10, and 10's where the good gets going because at 9, Jesus set them up to say, hey, come look at me because I just healed a blind guy, and the blind guy just saw me, and the blind just guy gave his life to me, and you religious people, you're still blind Come see me. And then he says this. I tell you this, anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, 
and the sheep recognize his voice and come, and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he's gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They'll run away from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this instruction, they didn't understand what he's meant, and so he explained it to them. Just like us, you're going, what? He heals a blind guy, then he starts talking about sheepfolds? What? Like Jesus didn't take his riddling that day? What's going on? And what he's saying is that, okay, I just did this to introduce you to me. And you know, a door, in fact, it says sheep gate in this translation. Other translations says door. A door has two functions. You know what the door does? It lets you in. It lets you in to the goodness and the love and the grace and the mercy of God. And it lets you out of your bondage, of your addiction, of your anxiety, of your worry, out of your fear. It lets you in to God's goodness and out of God's judgment. And Jesus says, I'm, not, I'm, that, I'm that one. You know, any other system that says you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to, they're liars. They're not real shepherds. They're real not gatekeepers. They're liars to you. And what he was saying to the people listening, they were saying, he was saying, listen, your whole belief system of Judaism is a lie. And they wanted to stone him for it because he exposed the real root of legalism is to control you. Those who heard Jesus' instruction, they didn't understand what he meant, so he explained to them. This is what he said. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. It's me. I am the door. All who come before me were thieves and robbers. Now, he wasn't talking about the prophets there, the, the prophets who came before him. He was talking about the legal system of legalism, of Judaism, thieves and robbers. But the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the door. I'm the gate. And those who come in through me will be saved. There's no salvation given to man other than the name of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. No one comes to the Father but by me. And this is not some kind of exclusive language. Jesus was saying, hey, I'll take any of y'all who'll come. Any of you. You'll come. All you have to do is come. I'll take you. Wow. Every other religion says I have to get my act together. Jesus says, come on, I'll get your act together. Because I'm full of grace and mercy. Those who come in me will be saved. They will, they will come and go freely and find good pasture. Then he says this, and I love this. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is that you'll have a rich and satisfying life. Wait a second. A rich and satisfying life. I grew up hearing preachers say, I used to drink and smoke and run around with women. Jesus saved me. And now I'm just boring. I remember as a kid, I said, you know, if that's Christian, I don't want that. And it was, don't you do this, and don't you do that, and don't you do that, but the joy of the Lord is our strength, but don't you do it. And don't you get too happy in church now. Don't express yourself. Don't clap. Don't raise your hands. Don't do none of that. You're the frozen chosen. <laughs> but Jesus said, I want to give you a rich and satisfying life. And I think about this. I think about this. 
thought about it yesterday was while I was watching the Masters, that I could pursue something that's not real or I could pursue the Savior who is real. And you know what the Savior does for me? You know what he does for me? He gives me real joy. He gives me real peace. He gives me real freedom. This is what I was looking for. He gives me the ability for Tara and I to have a real marriage that's full of love and mutual satisfaction. Does that mean we never fight? No, we do. Ain't none of your business. <laughs> but it gives us joy in the, in, the, in the security of the love of the Lord. Goodness, why would I pursue any other life than this life has for, for me? He's the gateway to life. He's the door to life. He's the door to fulfillment. Religion will keep you in bondage, but Jesus will set you free. You see, Jesus reveals his intention for you. Let's go on and read this next part. John 10, 1, 11 through 18. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. So the wolf attacks him and scatters the flock and hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. You know, when I read that, I thought about TV preachers. Then I thought, judgment, what's wrong with you? Me. How dare do I judge another man's servant to his own master? He stands or falls. What should my opinion be about TV preachers? Keep my pie hole shut. Just saying. He goes on, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and I'm all my own sheep and they know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them in also. And he was talking about us, the Gentiles. And they will listen to my voice and, they'll be, and we will, there will be one flock with one shepherd, that's Jesus. The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. So no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down and I want to, I'll take it back up again. So, so this is what my Father has commanded. Now you read that and this is cool because this is Palm Sunday and next Sunday is Easter and we're gonna celebrate the fact that Jesus was raised from the grave. He's raised from the grave. And why was he raised from the grave? Because the Jews killed him. No, they didn't. You can't kill Jesus. All these people that are anti-Semitic, they say, the Jews killed Jesus, so we ought to kill the Jews. You know what that's called? Crazy. Jesus gave his life willingly. You can't kill God. I remember not long ago, one of these TV guys, I can't think of his name, he wrote a book called Killing Jesus. And I remember screaming at the TV, you can't kill Jesus! And Tara came and said, well, what is wrong with you? You can't kill him. He gives his life willingly. Why? Why? To quote an old gospel song, when he was on the cross, you were on his mind. That's why. And he says, I'm the good shepherd. Now, this language really resonated with these people because they were agarian. They could understand it. And he was the shepherd God of Israel, but he's also our shepherd. And he, he lays down his life for you, that he can give you the real goodness of life. And Jesus was including all nations in his statements. And he literally was foreshadowing the cross. 
he reveals himself to you. Even after all of this, folks remain blind. You see, having vision but not being able to see the truth is wasted vision. And I'm praying that you will see Jesus. Wednesday, two weeks ago, actually it was this Wednesday, I'm sorry, it was this Wednesday, we had the group in my, in my house, I have, a, I have a group meets in our house. And I love this group. A lot of them are here this morning. I love them. I love hanging out with a bunch of young couples with all their kids. They all got 50 kids each, but kids. <laughs> and I love, I love the season of their life, and I love talking with them. Tara and I love encouraging them. There's all these young couples, and there's a couple of us old couples that are with them. And uh, it's really kind of cool. And I was teaching them our class on Grow. You know, we have four classes, you know, step into membership, connect, step with in spiritual maturity, grow, uh, step up and serve, and step out and share. We offer those four classes because we want to help you understand what a life built by God is like. So we ask everyone to take that. So we got it for you. So we're, we offer it. Uh, once a month, all of them, and then every week we offer one, and we do that. And I was teaching my group grow because they said, Scott, on, we can't really make the time where you teach our group. And I said, sure, I will. I was teaching grow. You know what I found out as I taught it? I fell under conviction. Because I was talking about having a quiet time and about reading your Bible and praying. And I do those things. But you know what I found I was doing? Going through the motions. Just being a preacher. Not going through wanting God to do something through me. I had let my time with Jesus be something I just did. And in teaching that group, I mean, I fell under such conviction. They left, and, and I, had to get, I had to get by myself. I had to think through this. And then on Thursday morning, the time with Jesus was fresh and good and clean. You know what I discovered? I was going through the motions, but I was drifting away from my Savior. And I don't want to live like that. I want to live close to him. Did I change anything I do? Not really, except for I engage my heart. Because I want to see Jesus. I want to see who he really is and how he really wants to work in me. I want to hear his voice. I want to go in and out of the sheepfold with him being my shepherd. I want to live my life in such a way that I have real peace and real joy and real hope and, and real love and real relationships and real meaning. I want to live like that. And I want you to as well. So sirs and ma'ams, would we see Jesus?